Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 41 of the Screen Bucket Isolation Cast. Yes, we're doing a Sum 41 special dedicated entirely to the band Sum 41. What? Oh, didn't I tell you? Because it's the 41st episode. I thought we were going to do it about the 41st millennium and do a Warhammer edition. Ooh, is that a thing? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's the year 40,000. That's the 41st millennium. 30, 41st. Oh, yeah, it would be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll do a. We'll clash them together. Yeah, well, that's just like Games Workshop. Brilliant. <laughs> <sighs> We've been together for weeks now. Weeks. Weeks, weeks, <laughs> weeks. And it, it, bizarrely, we decided to go for a walk together just now. Our one opportunity in the day to get away from each other, we decided to spend it together. Yeah, and it's glorious out there. It's beautiful. Got a nice view of the hill. Look, there's some scum out there. Yeah, look at those walking. Scum. Not socially isolating, I see. Uh, yes, it's we we realised it's like the past out there. It feels like we've taken a step back into 1994. This uh, the smells are different. Uh, everywhere, everything's so quiet, so yeah. desolate. It's got it, what it reminds me of is summer holidays. Yeah, because it smells like summer. It's hot like summer. And there's no one around. It's almost got a Stand By Me vibe to it when they're just still in the suburbs and they're leaving the town and they're going on their adventure and there's yeah. no one else around. It's kind of like that, isn't it? But it's this weird memory I've got of just being on my bike in the summer holidays and never seeing anyone. Mm. Always. Just, I don't know whether it's because adult people were sort of not in my world view. No, yeah. We're just on our foxy BMX bikes and Maybe fishing was... for leeches in the river and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's, it was it maybe like you were saying earlier the population's gone up since the 90s in our area because of the the commute to London yeah probably and it, yeah. it just I don't know the, the air feels old school fresh air yeah fresh sm- nice smelling air mm, and yet here we are trapped within the confines also I'm playing Doomsteel which is a very 90s uh, reminiscent thing I'm playing Zelda so that's very oh, god, well. <laughs> nothing's changed oh nothing's wow changed. yes so yeah, it's uh, it, it's glorious out there. We're, we're recording from Sunday, and it's it's lovely, and it's a shame that this is the most we'll ever see of it. Yeah, um, but uh, at this point, there's like little waves of good news among all the crap. There's uh, admittances of people in certain countries into hospitals. The deaths are still sky high, but the admittances into hospitals are starting to drop in places like Italy and Spain, which is nice. Mm. But we won't talk about that. We won't go too far into that because you're probably sick of it. It's yeah, everywhere already. Yeah, but we're just trying to keep things bright. As it's bright up outside. What? That's an old woman who needs to not be out go there. Go in. If, you, if someone breathes on you, you're going to die, old uh, lady. Get the tranquilizer gun. Yes. And do you know what? I have noticed, especially on like social media and stuff, people's sense of humour is up. I think yeah. it's the gallows humour. I think initially there was a wave of. Uh, fear and anxiety which is still there mm. very much so people are suffering um, but there's also this gallows humour community humour that's building up around it yeah definitely uh, sort of shows you the tolerance of, of the society we've built around ourselves things like um, I was reading earlier sent to me by Nick uh, who you'll hear from later in the show uh, an article about coronavirus is only bad because it used to play violent video games you know, blaming video games for something completely unrelated. That's nice. I like stuff like that. People put effort into that. Yeah. There was a video um, shared as well with the, the Dalek going up an English street. All humans must go by the lake by order of the 
That was great. The highlight of my uh, quarantine experience I had the other day, mm. um, which started bad and went wonderful. I was in the queue for Asda, and um, the queue went all the way down the car park, and three people away from me was a man, and that man was grinning, and he was on his own, and he was smiling. He was looking around. It's like a rictus he grin. A, he had this smile, this pleasant smile on his it's face. joker. And he was making eye contact with people. He tried to make eye contact with me. He wanted me to smile back at him, I assume. It wasn't like a gay thing. It was like him. <laughs> Why did you leap to that? Well, I don't know. Because I thought, well, a man smiling at another man, especially in oh England, where we all, yeah, we all hate each other. Everyone hates everyone else. Um, but I... Um, I used to add all men I didn't want to be I didn't want anyone smiling in that queue because it was horrible okay there was a breeze there was so many people we had to wait to get in the store about to get that hand sprayed with sanitizer and he was grinning and trying to get other people to grin with him like oh god take a look at this situation no mate shut up and look sad like everyone else (laughs) and then I was listening to my headphones and Meatloaf came on okay bat out of hell and instantly I was god of Asda. I was god. I was rocking down the aisles. Meatloaf was singing in my ear. I didn't give a shh. I didn't give a damn about anyone else. I was pumping the heart when it was, you know, still beating. And because I was out of the flat and I was listening to Meatloaf, it felt like I was like at Glastonbury Festival or something. <laughs> like this was my party. This was my night out. This was my glorious karaoke okay. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was throwing stuff in my basket I'd never normally buy. I put the smoked salmon in, which I forgot about, and it's all gone horrible. <laughs> I was throwing bounty bars in there. I was going mental, and I passed a smiling man, and he didn't affect me anymore. He was nothing. He was a ghost. So you're saying what made you feel better? The highlight of your coronavirus experience. It's isolating yourself from the world so much. Yeah. You thought you were at a club. Yeah. And <laughs> listening to, yeah, running around. Just running around I'm, that shop. I'll be honest, I found myself singing to myself while I'm walking around, mm. music in. It's, again, that reminds me of being a kid as well. It was just, just joy. And uh, now you come back and uh, we're here again forever. <laughs> but anyway, what are we talking about on the show? What are we talking about on the show? So it's... with. The timing hasn't worked out this this year round, but next weekend is Easter. Yes. What? That happened without anyone talking about it. And just like that, Lent was gone. Yeah, next week we can start eating chocolate and smoking and sweets and all that. Everyone's going to be, well, if they can, if there is anything to get out there. But yeah, next week's Easter. So we have watched an Easter film. The most Easter film of all, you might say. One of the most Easter films. Well, we watched the other one last year. We did. <laughs> last year we watched Life of Brian for Easter. Yeah. This year we watched Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ and Superstar. And I've never watched anything so 70s. I've never watched <laughs> anything so freaking odd. <laughs> it's, it's very weird. It was a family favourite of my mm. household growing yeah. up. It's very strange, but we'll cover that more later. It was later. like the Bible meets Charles Manson's cult. Oh, yeah. But we will, yeah, we'll come back to it. Um, I'm going to be talking about Tiger King, having binged the entire series yesterday. Yep, just like everyone else is talking about. And um, as this, of all of the episodes, if we get one episode where we're really going to go mental about our movie, it's going to be this one. Yes, Quaggers is... It's... 
finished, underlined, T's crossed, I's dotted, and there will be a premiere. The last premiere was had to be postponed, but this time we're going to go ahead. Easter Friday, and this time it's not just limited access, this time this premiere is open to the entire planet. So anyone can come and join us on Friday. Absolutely. So yes, we'll talk about that at length later in the show. Also, you may have noticed that cinemas are all shut. Yeah. I've got nothing to review. Mm. So I'm going to be do- looking at oh, I'm going to be looking at some retro reviews. Mm. Sunshine turned 13 this weekend. So I'm going to be talking about Sunshine and one little special important fun review which will come later. Ooh. Also Nick has also reviewed Prey which is three years old because it's 2004 Doom. Loser. <laughs> I mean, I haven't either, but. Yeah, but you've only got. I've got a PS4 now, haven't I? Oh, yeah. It's stolen PS4. Yeah. <sighs> right, well, let's crack on, shall we? Let's get to it. First things first The Quaggers trailer. They came to party. They came from outer space. But for these unhappy campers... Just put this thing on. Things are about to get slimy. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better keep an eye out for... Quaggers! They're mean, they're insane, and they're everywhere. And they've got an appetite for naughty campers. Starring Jody Bennett, Bailey Pillbeam, Isabel Albert, and Blake Aiden. Quaggers! They're everywhere. We are not going back in that tent. Quaggers! Yeah, that was the trailer. Yeah. Trailer. Went down very well, that trailer. It did go down very well. People loved it. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, uh, just YouTube, YouTube. Yes, YouTube. uh, It's also on uh, the Holodell Media Twitter profile and our Instagram as well. Yes. What do people call it? A retro... Splatstick. If you had... Been at a slumber party in the 80s. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You would have seen this on a VHS. Yeah, he said he would have watched it on the same night he watched Gremlins and Nightmare on Elm Street, this guy on Reddit who um, commented, or YouTube, whatever. Yeah, we um, had an interesting moment where I tried to promote it on Reddit. Um, I needed to get 100 plus karma to put it on our horror. I made a comment which got me about 5,000 upvotes, and in my in a moment of marketing genius, what I assume was marketing genius... I edited the comment to say, whilst you're here, um, I only made this comment uh, to promote our film Quaggers, which is on our horror. Please follow the link. And then people started going over from my comment on that thing to our video and our bloody video started getting loads more views. 
And then I got banned. Permanently. Permanently banned from Ask Reddit <laughs> for break for doing a naughty and advertising a film with another comment on another subreddit. I assume that's the rule. Yes. So yeah. For he's eighty nine said this looks ridiculously stupid. So I'm in. Yeah. You son of a bitch, I'm in. You son of a bitch, I'm in. Uh Squizzly Tentacle said Lamau, I love the narrator's inflection. Good taste. Uh, I also love how slimy it all is. I accept these quaggers. Thank you very much. It's nice to be accepted. <laughs> yes. Interesting way to say it. Bob Morrow said they look just like Alma from Brain Damage. Love the announcer. Good taste. It's you, Adam. You're the announcer. Oh, am I? Yes. They're everywhere. Yes, they are. So we made a very retro trailer, thanks to Rob's skilled editing and my voiceover it worked out perfectly um and yes the point of the trailer as well as to promote the film is also announced that we're live premiering it on this the, friday Easter this friday. friday 10th of april uh 2020 good friday and we're going to be showing it on clang clang yeah and um, we will, if you're wanting to actually just click, go via us to Clang, we'll have links up on our social media and on our website. Yeah, it might do a separate like announcement video with more information as well. Um, so we're going to be aiming to do it about 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, it'll be live streamed, so we're going to work out a way to, so we can have a Q&A. Might show the behind-the-scenes videos as well. Yeah, we'll make it an event. Yeah. Um, it will cost, because we've got to recoup some expensive creative things that we've been doing um but it won't, it won't be that much it no. won't be very much talking around a four pound ish minimum margin but yes and if you've already got a ticket for the live premiere that will still be going ahead and we'll make sure you get um free access to the live stream as well so yes no ripping off here yeah nice and cheap you get a good very very good wonderful wonderful movie and then a bit of hangout, chill out time with us afterwards. We'll have some drinks and things. So, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, it's going to be good fun. Yeah. Um, now, what's been happening with it since? Uh, we've uh, we've done a... I've re-edited it slightly from our first uh, version of it. So now we've got a uncut version, which is the one we'll be screening. Um, we've got credits now. We've made some slight adjustments to the actual sound mix and the video mix. How do you feel about it now, Rob? It's just bizarre, mate. Like it's the the amount of time and work and everything that we've put in. We, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago when we first watched the first finished result, and it was just so wonderful to see it all come together. So, yeah, it's it's weird. And now, obviously, this week is really the big. Obviously, we're entering film festivals. We just got shortlisted for Horrorcon, so we're in that. No, um, yeah, yeah. So we we were being a bit. Hush hush on that last time. We have now been accepted. So yeah. Yay! Yeah, we were doing a Horicon and uh, we're being represented in other uh, variations of film festivals as well. Um, but that was a big one for us, obviously, because Horicon's our first and the closest to our heart in terms of like big film warehouse events. Yeah, it's definitely the uh, the first point of call. We kind of almost after last Horicon, that was the drive to say, right, we're going to get screened here. Yeah. Of course. It's now been delayed, and I'm not sure when it will actually be happening. But, um, but it's there, there, and we'll be there at some point. So yeah. yes, so that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, so all this is—it's um, a big, massive week for us. It's a massive week for Hollowdale Media. Our first professional short film is about to be revealed to the world, and I don't mean to uh, put down the the masterpieces that are 
um, Cirque du Sacrifice or Daphne Thunderstorm. They're wonderful, beautiful movies. But this is... A whole other ballpark, isn't it? This is a whole other ballpark, I think everything we've done, I'm proud of in slightly different ways. Partly time constraints. We didn't have the same time constraints with Kroger's. Yeah. We took a year of filming with big gaps because of actor availability and stuff. But although the edit was mostly done last minute. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, But everything else, all our other projects, we kind of squeezed into one weekend or... Or whatever, and obviously we'll be going back to that soon with the next big project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's its own beast, and I'm 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 really glad that the people who watched the trailer seem to understand what the point was. Yeah, definitely. People getting that it's a bit cheesy and a bit eighties and a bit rough around the edges because it's supposed to be a VHS VHS mm. uh, film. It's supposed to be something you just have on a dirty tape and you wouldn't know what it was, you know? Yeah. And I mean, more than anything, uh, it shows me that although it'll be a hell of a lot more work, it'll be more than the same work. We now have the capability and the ability to make a feature length. So if everything goes well with this, we, we have no idea what's going to happen with this release and how things well, the, go. The point of the, the Corker short was to, as a fundraiser for a feature Yeah, that the first draft i'd written years ago and went nah we can't make this no. this is too much um i think we've learned a lot since then uh but we still need the money to do that so yeah that'll be the point um so there might be some sort of kickstarter in a couple couple of years once we've built up our skills a little bit more so yeah and built, built up our list of contacts and friends as well yeah. um i mean that's the main thing for me as well Quaggers, we've learned so much in a year from pre-production to post-production uh but we've also met loads of people and we've made contacts mm. of of actors and crew who want to do it more so i mean it's the way for I mean, that's a good point actually if you want to start the networking process and create a sort of film family start begin make film ask oh, yes. for help see yes. and see who you'd be surprised how many people just want to join in because they're interested. They want to be part of the filmmaking process. They're yeah, like, and if really? you, that's the thing. If you just start making stuff, people just appear. We've said mm. this before. Like, we'd just be in a pub talking about it and someone would go, huh? What yeah. are you doing? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I, my son's been doing, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's just fun. Mm. I definitely want to look at um, potentially a hard copy well, someone asked for that on Reddit, didn't they? Yeah, and I definitely in my hat in my head have full VHS tape release mm. with box art. Yeah, I mean that's could... a very niche market, but yeah, it's the niche market you pay for stuff, though. Yeah, that's the thing. And as horror fans, I think horror fans, maybe sci-fi, are probably the only people who are really big into their collecting. Yeah, and they will buy VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they will buy action figures and models and art and all this sort of stuff and that's the people we should be appealing to that's my people especially yeah my people agreed sci-fi is the other one as well like if we were to make that's something i want to make is a blade runnery cyberpunk sort of thing and that again would be very much a, a niche collectible kind of crowd would be aiming at mm. so yes mm. i think we need more though we'd need a quaggers uh, well, we suppose we've got all the behind the scenes and stuff, behind the scenes series, and phew, commentary. I don't know. Yeah, 
It's thinking out loud, really. Fill it up. We're just shoving some sort of foolish mayhem as well. I mean, we've got plenty of footage from quarantine, that's for sure. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. What we were doing at this point. in <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. Adam's Retro Film Reviews. Sunshine, 2007. Our sun is dying. Mankind faces extinction. Sixteen months ago, I, Robert Kappa, and a crew of seven left Earth frozen in a solar winter. Our mission, reignite the sun before it's too late. Welcome to Icarus 2. We have a payload to deliver to the heart of our nearest star. That star is dying, and if it dies, everything dies. There is nothing, literally Nothing more important than completing our mission. Are you scared? No. Since the cinemas are closed and the movie industry has shriveled up tighter than a raisin's wasp name, it's about time I took a look back at some of my favourite films from years gone by. This one I didn't even have to choose. This week, Sunshine celebrates its 13th birthday, so... Sounds like a pretty good excuse to put it on again. Written by Alex Garland and directed by Danny Boyle, the pair's second collaboration after 2002's rage-infected masterpiece, 28 Days Later, Sunshine sends us into a future where our sun is dying, and the Earth's last hope rests on the shoulders of an international crew on board a ship strapped to a bomb to reignite the star and save our civilization. The ship, the Icarus 2, is the second attempt to reignite the sun, with the Icarus 1 having gone missing seven years earlier. This fact weighs heavily on Captain Canada, played by Hiroku Sanada, who leads the second ship as it passes beyond communications range of Earth. For the first time in their mission, the small crew of eight is truly on its own. Things appear to be going to plan when Icarus 2 loops the planet Mercury, detecting a previously unheard distress beacon. The distress beacon of the Icarus 1. Despite the strong protests of the ship's engineer Mace, played by an almost unrecognisable Chris Evans, the decision forced the Kappa, the ship's bomb expert, played by a Brian Cox-trained Killian Murphy, who comes to the conclusion that two last chances for Earth are better than one, and that they should intercept the Icarus 1. And that's where things start to go wrong. Small mistakes lead to huge catastrophes as Icarus 2's new course forces the crew to make major decisions to determine the success of their mission. The biggest threat appears as the captain from the Icarus 1, Captain Pimbacker, appears to return from the grave, his mind and body corrupted by the light of the sun, his belief that he has been chosen by God driving his violent rampage against his would-be saviours. Sunshine is way more than your standard sci-fi. Sunshine takes a deep, dark look at what makes us human. It pits flesh and blood against force way beyond our comprehension and puts into focus our relationship with God, in this case embodied by the sun. I don't want to get all religious on you, far from it, but what Sunshine offers is a story that, on the surface, is an incredible sci-fi thriller, full of questions of morality and absolutely breathtaking special effects, but... Rather than stop there, it pushes its themes into the next world. Take Searle, uh, played by Cliff Curtis, the ship's psychologist, 
Throughout the journey, Soas become increasingly obsessed with the sun and its light. We first see him in the observation lounge, testing his limits as to how much sunshine he can expose himself to. His time and exposure to the light increasing off screen, with his skin blistering and peeling around his sunglass tan lines. He's finding faith. He, like Pinbacker, is finding meaning in the light and losing himself to it. Kappa and furthermore Mace take the opposite approach. They focus on what needs to be done and though they clash often, every decision they make is to complete the mission and save the world. Mace, the more pragmatic of the two, makes the hard decisions. In fact, though everyone argues against him, it's pretty clear that he is right virtually the whole way through the film. It's just a shame he's a bit of a git about it. Boyle has quoted 2001 A Space Odyssey, Solaris and Alien as influences on the film and it's easy to see where they crop up. Tight, claustrophobic spaceship corridors set the scene while the human crew begin to question their morality in an unbelievably stressful environment. I would go so far as to add Silent Running and Event Horizon to the reference pool too, but Sunshine is absolutely its own thing. Sunshine was considered a flop on its release, but home viewing has seen it rise in popularity and long may it continue. Sunshine is up there with my favourite sci-fi stories of all time. I even get a bit teary towards the end. The music too is incredible. John Murphy's score, along with Underworld, has been recycled to death, but it really shines in this film. Watch it, watch it, watch it. So if you wake up one morning and it's a particularly beautiful day, you'll know we made it. Oh, mademoiselle. Would you like to have a film discussion? Oh yes, Monsieur. I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you. Like that do on screen, bucket. Christ Superstar. This is um I've never ever seen it before, but it was more it was part of your childhood of an Easter uh, season. Yes, it was a family favourite. Right. I don't know why. I think my mum quite likes Angelo Weber, although I think he's rubbish. Uh famously Cats, Phantom of the Opera. Mm. Uh, never that fast. But yes, this one was a family favourite, mostly because it's so weird. It- and that's my lasting memory of it. Watching it as a kid. Like, especially the Romans, really stuck in my head. Like, what? I was forced through a lot of other um, tellings of um, Jesus's sort of quest. Mm. It should be pointed out, Rob was raised Catholic, Roman Catholic. Mm. I was raised Church of England. Yeah. So I, I, I've seen many other films t- telling Jesus's the lead up to his crucifixion and so forth. Um, they're all very, um, dr- like, dramatic and horrible and serious and it seems like this film was like um, a gift to the Christian community to say hey we can be fun and zany whilst we tell this story as well yeah so the the film 1973 is based on the rock opera uh, actual live theatre of 1970 1970 um, 
So it's only a couple of years old when they turned into a film. Right, yeah. Uh, the Broadway musical, I believe the actors in that were most of the cast in the film as well. So these are actors who had never been on camera before, no. though they were still performers. Um, and yes, it's it, a very strange combination of talent and weird 70s visuals and stuff. It does, and it's um, you can tell the theatre influence there is massive. Like there's very collected dance scenes, like they're, when they're all in one space together, and it's. I mean, they had a very small cast as well, didn't they? At any given time, I'm sure there were actors playing loads of different roles because. Oh, you recognised extras definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there was the couple that we liked, and they were in the <laughs> background. And we kept saying, "Look, there she is! There she is again!" <laughs> but there were so there was the twelve. Apostles. Yeah. They were all lead dancer, singer people. I don't. I, you're not really introduced to them. They're just there. No. You just keep seeing them again and yeah. again. So you sort of work out who they are. There's only a couple that were named, I think. Peter and Judas, pretty much. Pretty that, much, yeah. Um, so Norman Jewison is the director. He did a lot of stuff in the 60s and 70s, um, including Rollerball. Have you seen Rollerball? Oh, not for a long time. Rollerball was yeah. really unhinged. Yeah. Uh, 70s sci-fi sports violent thing. Uh, in fact, he did that immediately after Jesus Christ Himster. He also did Fist, which is a Stallone. Uh, Couldn't be more different. It's a very yeah. It's got a very eclectic skill set. Obviously, just did it for the for the challenge, I suppose. Because this was filmed in Israel. Mm. Jesus Christ Superstar was filmed in Israel in a couple of. Uh, ruins and and parks, um, so it was all like Roman ruins, I believe. Uh, and it came with its own challenges. Forty-one degree heat, uh, water breaks every twenty minutes. Um, the one day, all the electricians disappeared. Where did they go? They were all part of the Israeli army, and they had to go fight. Going off to fight against the Palestinians. And then they came back a couple days later and Four continued. Words. So, like those not familiar with the story of Christ, uh, fresh from his like little trip into the desert with Satan, he comes into uh, Galilee. Jerusalem. No, yeah. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus of Galilee comes into Jerusalem. Yeah, and he's he's found some followers, and um, the Jews are not happy with his arrival, and they plot to have him arrested, and eventually Judas sells him out in the Garden of Beth- Gethsemane, and then that's the lead up to his crucifixion. It's not really a spoiler because that's pretty, pretty probably the most well-known story of all time. It definitely follows the very traditional hero's journey. Yeah, it's definitely possibly because it's so old and so retold and retold. Um, you've got everything in there. You've got the money lender temple scene with Jesus going mental and smashing it all up. Absolute ballistic, smashing stuff up. You've got the Palm Sunday of him being welcomed back into Jerusalem mm. by the by the crowds. Uh, yeah, it's all there. You've got Mary Magdalene, who's portrayed more as a sort of lovelorn. Uh... She has this sinful prostitute air to her that um, wasn't like either. Wasn't, I don't think I don't really think they portrayed that because she's. We see prostitutes, and True. they're very, oh, very clearly well, they're modern prostitutes. prostitutes in lingerie. Yeah, and wiggling about and twerking and all sorts. Yeah, but she's more of just a woman. Right. She's just got robes on yeah no you're right she's portrayed more as just a sort of love interest almost who he jesus doesn't care about um but the main thing is you're following judas yes uh judas is seen more of a i'm doing the bad thing for the right reason kind of guy well we introduced to him basically going what 
Why are we? What's he doing? There's so much more we could be he's doing. He's questioning Jesus's morals, which he, I can't remember doing in the Bible. He's questioned throughout throughout all of it. He's questioning Jesus's reasoning for washing the feet, which I, I, I can't remember if that came from Judas or not in the Bible. But when Jesus does things that are a bit like out of bounds, almost like Judas is the person who questions him. He he keeps sort of saying like, uh, why why do you deserve this? We should be out there saving people. Yeah, you're able to cure people. Why? Why? Why are you here? Hmm. Why aren't we curing people? Hmm. Um, and just generally very confused about what's going on. He has lots of solo walks and he goes off on his own and wonders what the hell he's doing. And yeah, it's quite interesting. And he's played by uh, Carl Anderson, who's definitely the best thing in it. He has more charisma than everyone else in the film put together, even Jesus. I think it he's... helps that he, when he sings, he's quite angry. Yeah. And so we've seen quite a lot and of him. And he exclaims and he uses hands. Yeah. And he uses his hands like a god, like gesturing, gestating. It's, uh, yeah, and when, by the time, and it, it's very much followed, following him. We're seeing him, he has his own arc, he loses his mind. Mm. For, sort of. A lot of it I don't think is in the Bible. I think it's expanded on. Yeah. The ending of him is. Mm. Um, but yes, it's it's telling this story from song to song to song. I don't think there's very much where there's no music. It's all music. It's all music. And I mean, there's it's literally there's, just song, song, song. And there's song. There's certain songs where it's completely and utterly pointless. Right? When he travels through the lepers, he gets surrounded by lepers, and then he's it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> But the, <laughs> I quite like that one. It was good, but it was pointless. Yeah. The thing um, that strikes me the most about Jesus Christ Superstar is how the different groups of people were portrayed. I'll, we'll start with the Romans. Um, yes. The Romans are wearing combat trousers, boots, and pink tank tops. And very shiny helmets. Very shiny helmets. Um, to say they look flamboyant is one way of putting it. Mm. They also have very cartoony looking trident spears mm. and AK-47s. Yeah. And tanks. Yeah, tanks. And jets. jets. <laughs> They're ridiculous. They're, what the weird thing is, so I would understand if you're going to tell the Jesus story contemporary. Mm. I'd understand that. I'd understand if it was set in the in Nevada desert and it was a bunch of travelling preachers bumbling into cities and having a fight or whatever. I'd understand that. I'd understand if it was a bunch of sort of militia men in the Middle East who are just fighting over this thing. I don't understand that. I don't understand why they've got accurate looking apostles and yeah. normal looking people and then surrounded by armed guards. Yeah. Even the, the, which we'll get on to, the Jewish uh, community have at least a sort of fantasy look. They look semi-historical. They started historical and then they've just been washed in the <laughs> 70s sci-fi. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But at least they've got a style that sort of sort of blends in. Mm. The Romans just stand out and it's really weird and I don't know why they strange. did it. They look extremely unthreatening. When I think of biblical films of the past, the Romans always look scary and threatening and um, almost like uh, gangsters in a sense. They're very big and gruff and intimidating. They are not in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Although uh, there is a similarity between Jesus Christ Superstar and Life of Brian in the depiction of the Romans. What's that? In that they're mostly just stood on the sidelines going, what? Yes. Which yeah. I think is actually probably quite accurate. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's um, 
I uh, guess they're all right if they keep dancing. But if they get violent, we're getting heavy. Well, that's Pontius Pilate's whole stick in a nutshell, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's true, like it's he, true. Uh, it's very confused. He kind of wants to free Jesus because he's like, come on, guys. He hasn't done anything wrong. And then, the, you know, the crowd's like, no, crucify him. Yeah, well, they even threaten telling Caesar, you're going to get demoted if you let us cause chaos. Yeah. Mm. Um, we'll go on to the Jews and we'll go on to one particular Jew. Um <laughs> So the Jews are you you um, made them similar. Well, you, they're similar to Flash Gordon villains. You said, which is oh, like- they look yeah. They also look a lot like the the main Jewish priest looks a lot like the vizier from Aladdin as well. Yes, yeah. So stylistically, they have this very strange look to them: long dark cloaks, big big hats, domey helmet hat mm. things like a pope hat gone mental. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the one who always sings like this and has a silly robotic deep voice. And then there's the one who sings like this. We must have him <laughs> crucified. Well, that's funny. And that one in particular runs around like a cartoon villain. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very anti-Semitic. I mean, it is. I don't say it's very anti-Semitic, but it definitely doesn't make them out to be it nice people. It makes them evil. to look odious. It, it, it goes to every negative Jewish stereotype yeah. there is. I mean, even during... There's a point where Jesus accepts his fate, and there's like um, a montage of paintings from the last, I don't know, over 2,000 years of the crucifixion. Oh, yes. And then yeah. various points of these paintings go into these Jewish stereotype pictures of sneering, long-nosed people. Yeah, there's a lot of close-ups of noses. Eyes, and yeah. Like, yeah. But, one Jew, Herod. Tell me about Herod. Well, uh, so Herod, obviously, is the, the... Is he actually the real king of the Jews? Or is he sort of the, I don't know how it works. He, um, he's, the, he's the community leader. Right. So Pontius Pilate is the governing leader um, with the army and all that stuff. But the actual sort of community leader that will deal with local law is Herod. Um, who is depicted in this film as a overweight, uh, I would only, like a Hollywood hippie Jew stereotype. Yes. He, later on he wears horrible golden cloaks and things. But when we first meet him, he's just sort of lounging in a pool, surrounded by uh, drag queens, hippies. People with face paint. Yeah, it's very... It's hard to describe without sort of... It looks like the gay area of the Notting Hill Carnival on top of a hill in Jerusalem. But they're very much depicted as nasty. Yeah. They're sneering, they're insulting, they're angry looking. Herod himself is, yeah, so he's overweight, he's uh, sunburned, he's sweaty, he's gross. Later on, he makes some faces while Jesus is being whipped and oh yeah uh not ideal he's disgusting yeah and we are shown that very very clearly it's like a combination of metaphors of sloth and lust and the seven deadly sins it's that them all squashed together would make him i suppose like you could make an evil character look evil by dressing them like Darth Vader mm. which is the priests the rabbis yeah. uh or you can make him look odorous and Greasy. Yeah, and uh, greedy and horrible. Uh, Although, possibly slightly better in the film, because apparently in the original rock opera, Herod was, in fact, a flaming drag queen. Where's the... What's that decision? Why... 
what? I don't know. It's so. It's all so strange. It's very, very strange. The only thing I can think is, so the Romans are supposed to look military, mm. but they've made them look fake military. Yeah. I guess. Uh, so they've made them pink and whatever. They've made the Jewish priest's order look dark and foreboding and, and opposite to Jesus because he's wearing white mm. and he's blonde, obviously. Uh, and then you've got the the sort of Jewish royalty who are bloated and corrupt. Is that yeah. the idea? Yeah. But I mean, but why? Why have why? you gone to that extreme? And and what makes that even weirder is the film is based on the premise of these are performers that rock into the desert and then yeah. they have all the props with them and they're dressed normal, like normal seventies young people. They get off the bus, they change into their Jerusalem clothes, <laughs> and then get on with the musical as if it's real. Except some of them are Jerusalem and some of them are seventies metaphor, not. And then at the end. They all get on the bus again, which, by the way, has 666 as the number plate, and they leave Jesus there, who we can only assume is the actor who's, who's playing Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So have they really crucified the actor who's playing Jesus and left him in the desert to rot because he doesn't get back on the bus? Judas gets back on the bus. Peter gets back on the bus. Everyone else gets on the bus. The Romans, whoever else, everyone else is playing, but they, Jesus doesn't. Yes. What does it all mean? <laughs> I mean... The bus from hell. Yeah. Is it that the sinners experience this and still they turn their back on Jesus? Is that what it's saying? Yeah. Is that what it's saying? At the end of the day, people will still turn They'll their back on Jesus. just carry on and drive off and yeah. continue with their lives. Yeah. That's the thing, though. With, with Herod's depiction, not only is the film pretty anti-Semitic, it's also homophobic. Yes. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't veer into sexism much, but... It kind of does, yeah. But it's, because it's, women are only there as sex objects, or yeah, uh, uh, how would you depict Mary like a maternal figure, love lost and just needs a man? Yeah. It's very weird. And the fact that the people playing it appear to be from that sort of Charles Manson um, oh. family, um, <clears throat> more era. than once, more than once, it will cut to Jesus with his followers, and it will be like hmm, it's a bit culty. This is a bit culty. So what? <clears throat> Especially because you've got. Uh, most of the time the men are doing their own thing but a lot of times when you see Jesus he's surrounded by women yeah. and that feels culty as well that's like has he chosen them to do this uh? there's a what's references like the day the 60s died there's something isn't there about flower power and everything dying I can't remember if, it, what it's, if it's to do with Vietnam or with oh it was John Lennon John Lennon being shot right and it was the end of flower power and freedom I wonder if Jesus Christ Superstar was actually the end of uh the true end of the 60s culture. <laughs> it's short comparisons. I have to read that um, in the 60s, there were a lot of Jesus films where yeah. it's oh, different so ideas. many, so um, many. And this was kind of the last one of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> this is the one where they were like, okay, okay, we've, got, we've gone too far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar is still going. It's still yeah. massively popular. Um, we saw, while looking some bits up, there was a film in 2001 where they depicted the Romans as... Gestapo officers. And yeah. What? Yeah. It's very... Yeah. I, is it worth watching for that? Just like, what? Absolutely. I would say absolutely. And um, 
There were certain bits in the film where I must confess we both kind of like were reaching for our phones and there's you know, oh for quite a few. <laughs> so there are bits where it's boring, but it's not it's it's not a bad film. It's an enjoyable experience all in all. And like obviously, but like we said, I think Judas amazingly charismatic, amazing performance. Yeah, and Peter as well is quite good. And there's yeah. the guy who dances. <clears throat> uh... And yeah, Ted Neely was good as Jesus as well. Like he's he's fine. I mean, he what can fine. you do with yeah, Jesus? Exactly. Like now the question is. Jesus Christ Superstar, I mean, it's not overtly anti-Semitic. It's got themes of it, and it definitely seems that way. Passion of the Christ, heavily regarded as anti-Semitic. Is there a way of depicting this story without being anti-Semitic? Swap everything. <clears throat> it's no longer Jesus. Um, it's well, The story is obviously that uh, Elvis. a guy's wandered in, and he's preaching all this stuff, this philosophy that's opposed to what the uh, the mainstream society is saying. So, therefore, obviously, the the establishment are getting a bit worried about it, and they decide to murder him. They decide yeah. to get rid of him. Um, and they do that by basically exploiting weaknesses and arguments, and they end up getting their way. Um, therefore, the establishment are always going to be the bad guys. But, do they have to be depicted in such a disgustingly, like, evil way? Why don't you turn them into Aryan bodies of perfection? <clears throat> uh, Is that, well, hang on a minute, they just did that, didn't they? Because that was the, the Nazi well, yes. Gestapo officer. But there, he was, he was pilot. Though. Oh, he's pilot. Which <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Well, this makes the Romans a authority. Yeah. yeah, but if, if a Nazi was pilot, he'd be like, you Jews are all going to die. <laughs> well, yes. Well, it wasn't actually, it's just yeah. reminiscent of. But that's the thing, though. Maybe... How would you depict authority not being evil and disgusting? Like they don't know what they're doing. Like it's just. I mean, you can, but it just doesn't work. It's just not as it's not as entertaining. You're not as into it. Did you ever see In the Loop? Yeah. So In the Loop depicts authority making terrible decisions, but you don't. You actually feel sorry for them. They're bumbling fools. But you're in the thing within the loop. You're in the panic. Oh my god! Okay, a comedy about Pontius Pilate trying to get through the situation. Without being killed and without yeah, well that's the thing. So, so in in the loop, um, it's a depiction of like the war on terror, what behind the scenes of the war on terror, where they end up declaring war and everyone feels bad about it mm. because they've all had different agreements and different alliance allegiances and alliances they've made and decisions they made because they have to say yes because they've made a deal with such and such and all these deals come together and end up with the worst possible result. Yeah, you could do something there. Yeah. Where the Jewish community therefore aren't horrible, disgusting caricatures. Maybe they're instead like Oh, we have to kill him now. God. You're like, oh what? We, really? This isn't what we wanted. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the only way I can think of doing it. Mm. Otherwise you you're stuck with the black and white <laughs> yeah. kill him. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you make Jesus more like a Charles Manson figure, a sort of cult leader that People should be a bit worried about. We got to take him down. Uh, what? What's yeah. he saying? We needed that money from the moneylenders to build a new orphanage. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just—it's too perfect the way it is. That's why I call it the greatest story ever told. After, yeah, there you go. Brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> Completely brainwashed. I mean, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll move on. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ, superstar. Give it a watch this Easter. It's very interesting. It's on Prime. Yeah. Watch it on Prime. It's it's free if you got it. Uh, it's a weird experimental film. 
that also instantly inspired the likes of Julian Barrett from the Mighty Boosh. Mm. And immediately you were like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. Um, uh, Matt Barry as well, I think he's been quoted as saying it's influence. Yeah. So yes, it's worth a watch for the, the uniqueness. So 100%. Now then, next film. You chose the last word, didn't you? Yeah, because it got ended up with Truman Show. Is that right? Or did we no, the rat, rat Race was last time. Oh yeah, cool. So, it's, um... so I need to choose a book. Cool. I've chosen A Clockwork Orange oh, by wow. Anthony Burgess. Amazing. We should actually review that film one day. <laughs> we should, probably should. I mean, if we get Gulliver, it probably have to be. Right. So I'm gonna go, and then Rob's gonna tell me when to stop. Stop. Hang on. Let me stop. Stop. And then I'm gonna run my finger over the page, and he's gonna tell me to stop. Stop. When? Mm, we'll do it again. Stop. Heart. Ooh, that's a good Ooh. one. Cool. Okay, so I'm going to think of a heart film. Nice. Um, and that'll be our next watch. I heart Huckabees. <laughs> that was the first thing in my head. Yeah, I thought it would be. We'll <laughs> uh, think of another one. <laughs> Maybe. Green Bucket, Adam and Rob. Nick's Game Reviews. Prey 2017. Do you remember the original Prey? I don't. Completely passed me by. I mean, I remember hearing about it, but I had no idea it had that much of a following. Certainly not enough for there to be a remake in 2017. But there was, and so the remake was born. Developed by Arcane Studios and published by Bethesda, Prey 2017 released to an initial, well, I guess people liked it? Let's just say Prey 2017 was to Doom 2016 what the Resi 3 remake has been to the Resi 2 remake. You can imagine the reviewers gathering in a room and all nodding appreciatively, all looking at each other, awkwardly waiting for one to pipe up and say, uh, is that it? Because here's the thing, whenever a good game is released off the back of an exceptional game, it always falls flat. To clarify, these games are not bad, quite the opposite, they're just not as good as the games that we are comparing them to. And that's what I found with Prey. It took me a long time to get into this game. I picked it up on PS4 when it first released, expecting something to blow me away like Doom did, and it didn't. I gave it a few hours and then moved on to something else, probably more interested in the next shiny thing. But with this whole lockdown business, I'm finally getting the chance to play through that back catalogue of mine. Every cloud and all that. My PS4 is currently gathering dust in my cupboard, so I had to start again on my Xbox. Although it's available on Game Pass, it is listed as leaving soon, so by the time you've heard this review, it will likely have already been removed. Initially, I had those same gripes with it. It just felt a bit too slow for what I wanted. After a couple of hours, I was again thinking that I needed to move on to something else. But then the game clicked. I can't tell you exactly what did it, or why, but I suddenly remembered that although this is a Bethesda game, it isn't an id Software game. It's an Arcane Studios game, the same studio that brought you Dishonored. That was it. I knew the type of game it was trying to be, and how I should play it. Now before you judge me, everyone compares games to something. Doom Eternal has just released, and to tell you the truth, I just wanted to play that. But with money so tight, I found myself settling for Prey. And that really didn't do Prey justice. But I gave at the time, I figured out it was a stealth game, not an action game, and voila, I started to enjoy myself. I enjoyed myself so much that I ended up reading every email on Tallow Station, collecting every transcribe, and completing every side mission. 
I was saving every human and finding every crew member, whether they be dead or alive. I mean, I could even tell you a lot of these people's names and the romances and quarrels between them. The last game that brought me this much satisfaction from collecting and completing every task was probably Spider-Man. Does that mean Prey is as good as Spider-Man? No, definitely not, Spider-Man is incredible, but it does mean Prey is a good game. Again, I'm not promising it is going to blow you away, but give it the time it deserves and the preconceptions it deserves, and you might just find yourself a little bit hooked and immersed in the environment Arcane Studios have developed. Oh, and that ending? Oof. There are some great enemies in the game, from the terrifying, stomping phantoms to the poltergeists that are near on invisible and fling random objects at you. The real selling point, though, is the mimics. These small, headcrab-like creatures that can, well, mimic any inanimate object. As you're walking around the station, you'll see an object shake or rattle, and that'll be your giveaway. But every now and then, you won't catch them out, and they'll just jump out at you from nowhere. You start to question the innocence of any coffee mug, plant pot, or even medkit. Prey is charming, unnerving, and captivating all at the same time. If you haven't played it, then give it a go. It might surprise you. Wow, isolation. I think everyone... The phrase Netflix and chill used to work, mean something very different, I think. Yeah, well, it can mean the same thing, but this is a one-person party as opposed to a yeah. two-party. Netflix party and quarantine. Yeah. Netflix. Yay. So I've um, just got access to Netflix again, and I went straight to Tiger King. When you say you've just had access to Netflix again, yeah, did it mean you stopped paying for it for a bit, did you? I haven't paid for it ever. What? I steal it off of other people. You cheap scumbag. Yeah, I was sitting, and uh, my friend Liam, I was... He was like, oh, have you watched Tiger King yet? I was like, no, actually, I don't have Netflix. I, you know, just can't. And he was like, oh, I've got it. You can jump onto mine. Absolute cheap yeah, scumbag. Yeah, so wonderful. I don't want to pay for Netflix. But um, you probably watch it more than anyone else I know. I, I, not at all. Or I used to. Uh, well, you used to always be ahead of the curve, and I'd be like, what? I've never heard of that. Mm, a bit, yeah. I, yeah. But it was normally with other people who I've had... I don't know, whatever. I, don't, I have no excuse. I have no it's excuse. It's just a cheap scumbag. I, I just love not paying for Netflix. I love using other people's <laughs> Netflix. It's brilliant. Anyway, mm. Tiger King. Wow. So it's probably by this point, everyone's who's... The wave has died down, I imagine, by the point that you guys are hearing this. Um, I've you, never... I have no idea what it is. Okay. Only what I've overheard. It's massive. It is the new Making a Murderer. It's not a new The Keeper. So... Don't F with Cats was another one. This is the newest Netflix. Everyone needs to watch this. It basically revolves around basically three separate um, big cat keepers around the United States. Um, one in Florida, one in Oklahoma, one somewhere else. Um, one of them is a slightly plump ponytailed man who shapes his personality on some sort of Sikh guru um, he's very spiritual, but he's actually very manipulative and he manipulates quite attractive women into marrying him. He's got like five wives and he he's, he does this... Oh, is he Mormon? No, he's, he's... I don't know what he is. He's from that school of like maybe Hindu. I don't, okay, like, You know right. that Hindu cult wave that happened in America? He's definitely yes. that, that school of thought. And he manipulates women by changing their names and taking their identities. So <laughs> like he's so odd. And he, I thought I loathed him the most. And then there's this guy called Joe Erotic. <laughs> Joe Exotic. <laughs> huh? 
Hi, I'm uh, Joe Wright. <laughs> even he should be Joe Wright. <laughs> Joe Exotic is the t- is the main like guy in this, and he he's a bit dodgy with the way he looks after cats. And he used to be like really into like no breeding of tigers or lions whatsoever. And then he starts breeding him to make more money. He there are two young men in it who who weren't gay and always, both of them weren't gay at all and always used to date girls through school. And then they met him and he turned them and they had like a freeway wedding. Oh, so they all God. got married together into a thruple. Then there's this woman, Carol Baskin, who keeps a big cat sanctuary and she allegedly murdered her husband and fed her to the tigers. Right. And to the tigers. That, I've heard about that. And basically, <clears throat> uh, Joe Exotic hates this Carol Baskin. He's like, this bitch Carol Baskin has done this. And he goes, he gets... Um, Dolls, and he dresses them up like Carol Baskin. He shoots them in the head. He blows her Bloody up with hell. dynamite in doll form. He made a music video which shows her feeding her husband to the tiger, and he's dressed as a priest singing in the background. One of it, I don't want to spoil because, yeah, there's spoilers, but the thing about this documentary is, except for a few people who have lost their limbs, <laughs> you hate everyone in it there's no protagonist to latch onto. each and every tiger keeper in it is odious they are disgusting horrible people and you can't they've all got trying to push their kind of idea of i'm i'm keeping tigers the righteous way i'm being good about it this person's doing it wrong this person's a scumbag they're all scumbags and they all have this thing about spirituality and tigers that connects to their ego the way that they turn this tiger into this like godly, beautiful thing, which is a higher power, but they're part of it. And they have this thing. It's all about ego and it's gross and I hate it, but you can't stop watching it. It's just fascinating to watch how these people work. Their brains are just, it's mental, honestly. The thing I've heard, the, the biggest thing I've heard is about that murder thing. And what I've heard is that the people who created the show are manipulative they have edited the content they've changed the way people talk there is a bigger problem with the show than the people in it and that is the filmmakers i think someone's getting sued aren't they Someone, there's some sort of thing there's going a lawsuit on. happening as a result yeah. of how things were presented and it's quite an interesting thing and uh you mentioned to make a murderer that had a similar thing that we are only seeing one side of this and yeah. it's being manipulated and it's being constructed in a way that makes you feel the way you just describe feeling. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting. And this is the type of thing that media ethics courses are going to be teaching because this seems to be the growing trend and you wonder what else is going to happen. But mm. is coronavirus going to cause a wave of documentaries about the bastards? Yeah, the Chinese. Yeah, or like... Are the NHS really struggling? You know, stuff yeah. like when is five G actually causing all oh, of this? Oh god! Did you hear about the people who were burning pylons? Oh my! No way! And assaulting like engineers and stuff. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. I think there's there's inevitably going to be a lot of that in Tiger King, but at the end, the other the flip side to it is. They have stock footage before they even started making this documentary of the kind of stuff these thing people. Oh, were doing they're sure saying. they're probably they're, horrible they're, people anyway. They're, they're odious, yeah. Yeah, but, but they're just like reality TV. Like, uh, do you ever watch Storage Wars? Yeah. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. <laughs> like, what? These people don't exist, surely? No. no it's mad. I think it's you'd never see a show with English people being like that. 
No. They even did a Storage Wars, Storage Hunters, whatever it was, in the UK, and it was just like a bit pathetic. The, <laughs> a worst, bit sad. the worst of Britain has come to light through one program, and that program is Come Dine With Me. <laughs> what? I love but, Come Dine With Me. But no, but you see, if you're talking about finding like bad people with bad attitudes, okay. which isn't, and it, you know, in Britain... I would some say of the peop- take me out. Some of the people who come, to- yeah, but take me out is just your standard Essex people who want to get laid, isn't it? And want to be on TV. They're just hunting for fame. They're not necessarily mm. bad people. But come dine with me. You see people who are like, I want to win. I hate that person. I don't know why, but I really hate them. They disgust me and bullying <laughs> and stuff like that. That is the like the most. Is that the, is that the worst you I think? Can't of? Thi- I can't think of anything that shows British people in a worse light than come dine with me. I love come dine with me. It's not that bad most of the time. Oh. Uh, three in a bed though four in a bed oh, I haven't seen that that's more like what you just that's more bullying that's where it's uh, hotel B&B oh, right. owners will stay at other people's they'll be like so there'll be four mm. couples and they'll move around each other's house and they'll be like critiquing each other's cleanliness and uh, cooking that's horrible that's like my worst nightmare uh, coach trip as well oh yeah, yeah coach trip that's awful yeah. mm. But still, you never, never to that degree. I suppose the only thing comparison would be if we followed some East London dogfighters or something. Yeah, that was um, that would be the only way you get uh, some nasty, nasty sorts. Yeah, but that'd be more gangster stuff. It wouldn't be mad egotistical cultists and no. Mm. Uh, what have I been watching? I've not really been watching that much. Uh, I've been watching lots of Simpsons or Disney Plus. Yeah, uh, that might be it. Huh. That's bad, isn't it? Well, that'll do. All right. Doom. That's what I've been doing. Doom. <laughs> Adam's Retro Film Reviews. Swarm of the Snakehead, 2006. Something's out there. What are those things? Something unnatural. I'm gonna whip it out. Is there anything quite like stumbling on an absolute gem of a B-movie? Amazon Prime must be the hands-down winner for independent cinema right now. Well, in terms of mainstream online streaming sites anyway. Enter Swarm of the Snakehead. Directed by Frank Lammer and Joel Denning, Swarm of the Snakehead introduces us to Barrow Springs, a middle American town in the heart of Maryland. The story it aims to tell is about a young Emerson family returning to their father's hometown, where their daughters get mixed up in a plot involving a bunch of terrifying creatures that threaten the good townsfolk. What the film is actually about is Mayor Janice Appleyard attempting to cash in on the upcoming fishing festival, the ultimate fish off by inviting famous television fishing celebrity Daryl Daly to the town to kick off proceedings. 
But things go badly wrong when a horde of terrifying snake-headed fish-bodied monsters emerge from the lake and start eating up the town. As the mayor refuses to close the upcoming event for fear of losing money, it's up to Daryl Daly and the lusty Miss Barrow Springs to try and stop the beast before it's too late. Well, that and the Emerson family, whose roots in the small town might reveal where the snakeheads are coming from and more importantly, how to stop them. Swarm of the Snakeheads is lightning in a bottle. It's a comedy horror that sets out to be funny and gory and silly and manages to achieve all of those things and more. I think I laughed the entire way through and significantly I was laughing with the movie, not at it. You may be aware that the Zucker Brother comedy classic Airplane was a script to 1957 Zero Hour, but with jokes added. Swarm of the Snakehead is the airplane to Spielberg's jewels. Some scenes even appear to be line for line, particularly the scene where we meet Gunnar Hansen of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame. But the real star, the keystone to the film's success, is director Frank Lammer in the role of Daryl Daly. Like a Poundland Bruce Campbell, Daryl is always a treat on screen. With his quirked eyebrow, ridiculous lines and face of rubber, Lammer was born for ridiculousness and it's never not funny to see him playing against the town's elite or the snakeheads themselves. It's clear that Swarm of the Snakeheads was a community project, likely made in the town and for the town. But it manages to transcend that. It's a legitimately funny comedy with some questionable effects and some even more questionable acting. But it oodles with cartoony charm and just makes you want to sit down and watch it all over again. Find it on Amazon Prime. You won't regret it. Cletus? Buford? Tiny? Father O'Malley. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnight. J.K. Rowling has launched Harry Potter at Home, Adam. What? A hub for quarantined fans, having already made some steps to perform a shrinking charm on the coronavirus curb, including making it free for teachers to read her books online and making the Philosopher's Stone free on places like Audible, J.K. Rowling has now launched Harry Potter at Home. What is this? It's a place where fans of the books and movies can solve puzzles and take part in magical quizzes. That's nice of her, isn't it? That sounds awful. That sounds wonderful. Um, it's, it's just so good. Are you in it? Are you a member? I just, I just went on it now. I just went on it before um, yeah, yeah. this episode. And I took the which witch is which quiz. Which it was um, asking which you know which witch wrote Hogwarts a history, who was captain of the Quidditch team, the Hollyhead Harpies, questions like that. I got nine out of ten, so that's pretty good. And the website complimented me and said I was a good wizard. So, oh, a nice pat on the head. Yeah. So thank you, J.K. Rowling. Fifty points to Gryffindor. <sighs> yeah. Uh, uh. Did you know? Did you know? As of 2018, there have been half a billion Harry Potter books sold. Half a billion books can't be wrong, Adam. It is truly a masterpiece of literature. Yes. Four. Four Love and Thunder has officially been delayed to 2022. Oh, what? Production? Yeah. Um, This news comes after other Disney movies, Mulan and Black Widow, have also found themselves pushed back to the end of the year in terms of release. So the release of Four Love and Thunders 2022 now. All of these delays inevitably lead to a drought 
in new movies for a while. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna reopen the cinemas, but they're, gonna, they're not gonna have any films to show. There's gonna be an overlap. Yeah, that's isn't true. It? Yeah. Because I was thinking, what? How do you get bums on seats when you don't have any new movies? I mean, I, I'm, the obvious route is to re-release the blockbusters, get your Jaws and your Lord of the Rings. Well, yes, they, they've sort of been doing that anyway, but all the sort of 20th anniversaries and 25 yeah. anniversaries. But they're going to have to really do a push for it now to the extent they need to probably start putting adverts on the TV and stuff like that. Or possibly start showing, like, TV series. There's some cinema that's been doing that. Stranger yeah. Things. Prince Charles has a lot of TV stuff, doesn't it? Prince they? Charles has lots of uh, Stranger Things series and recaps and things. I think Lost they even did for a bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're going to have to do something because there's going to be there is going to be a, a gap of an overlap of. It might be quite good to see all the sort of classic series. I would love stuff. to. Well, you saw what did you see? Apocalypse Now. Yeah, the re-release. That was amazing. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, there's certain films which would be incredible to. You know, even films that from our childhood, like Men in Black, would be really cool to see at the cinema again. Oh yeah. Films like that would be great. So, The Shining, I'd love to see The Shining at the cinema. Oh, I have. It's incredible. Really? It really, like, seeing things like The Shining, Stanley Kubrick generally, on big screen, it's something else. Mm. It really is. I think I went on Halloween at one time oh. with uh, with my mate Dave, who's a, a lad's lad, big burly lad's lad, until he watches a horror film and he turns into a squeaking girl. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really good fun. Well, yeah, that's, I hope they consider that, and they probably will. Uh, the also the Uncharted movie has been delayed. Um, that <laughs> good? Yeah, I agree. It's delayed. Uh, delayed on its first day of production. Oh dear. According to the film's lead, Tom Holland, Holland who plays Nathan Drake in the movie, why I do not understand. I've played all four of the games, and he looks why nothing. Why did you cast a baby face? A man child. Nathan Drake is. Uh, I mean, if they they need maybe a younger Chris Pratt or something like that. Uh or, yeah or. Uh... Uh, can't think now. Shia LaBeouf? No. No, he's too boyish. Um, Nathan Drake. Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy would be uh, great. I need someone that sort of facey face. Sort yeah. Face. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why he's in it. But um, he revealed in a chat with Justin Bieber, no less, that um, it was cancelled. What? what? Why was he talking to Justin? I don't know. Bieber? This is annoyed. This annoyed me. <laughs> this annoyed me. There was an Instagram chat. They had an Instagram chat, so people were watching their chat. Oh, so like, shut up! Didn't Justin Bieber get coronavirus? Maybe he got. Didn't I? Didn't I hear about that? I mean, he looks pretty dishevelled at the moment. And he had, it's also got Lyme disease and yeah. whatever else. Uh, so he he said, uh, Tom Holland said, we went for day one. I'm doing this movie called Uncharted, which is based on a video game. Duh. Um, and we showed up for our first day of shooting and they shut us down. I was in Berlin, so I had to come home and now I'm back in London. So, yeah. Oh, so he's travelled to multiple cities. He spread it. He's a multi- he's a Spider-Man spreads <laughs> coronavirus. We don't have anything against spinning Tom. his web. Yeah, we don't have anything against God, Tom Holland. We're just in one of those moods. Are we? Do we? Do or do we hate him? No, I like him. He was in uh, Onward. He's really good. Yeah. Um. What else? That's it. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing. All I was reading about was cancellations, cancellations, cancellations. The butthole cut of cats. There was an April Fool's <laughs> butthole cat trailer. That was nice. But yeah, in terms of film news, so nothing. Uh, we mentioned last time shows films like The Hunt, uh, various other things have been out um, are now available on Prime Video and various other places to rent. Um, but they cost fifteen ninety nine. And there's lots of articles about uh, is that too much? The answer obviously is yes. Why would why are they fifteen ninety nine? Is ridiculous. Have they only chosen that price point to try and make up for the losses? It's absurd. Because 
That's more than the cinema would pay towards the film. It makes no sense. And when you pay for, when you go to the cinema, you're paying for the big screen and the big speakers. Eh. So this is what um, Disney did with. Um, well, they've actually taken it straight to their streaming service. I assume it's going to be free now. Artemis Fowl. Have you oh. ever, did you ever read the books as a kid? No, I'm very aware of them though. They always used to be in the library. So I've watched a trailer, and unless by some miracle the film is completely different, they have butchered the books like oh, to really? an extent. I to, almost to an extent I've never even seen before. Like, so in the books, Artemis was a nasty little piece of work child. He was a child genius. He had a bodyguard. Mm. Yeah, and they kidnap a fairy, and. Um, it's all about him manipulating the world to get into this fantasy world of fairies and it's all quite he's not a nice person in it and then eventually as the books go along he started he starts being a bit nicer but in this movie they've made up some dumb plot to get Colin Farrell involved as his dad Artemis is like a nice kid and they've just destroyed it and I don't know why the books were really different because you had a protagonist who was essentially an antagonist and it was really different. I hadn't read anything like it at the time, and they just right. completely screwed it up. But anyway, yeah. Disney's because of the, what's happened with coronavirus, they put it straight on Disney streaming, and I think that's going to be out very soon, okay. maybe by the end of the month. But don't watch it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Unless unless I'm wrong, but yeah, I, from what I read on, on online, people were furious about it because they've just taken a book and made a different story. They did that last year, year before, with something I'd never heard of. Apparently, it was a big, famous, like, American school favourite. And it was just forgotten. Oh. It was about time travel or something. Oh, right, yeah. Do you remember what it was? No. Yeah. Um, it's, something rings a bell there. But they've done it for years. They did it with things like Aragon and all sorts of books. Right. Yeah. They've butchered them. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so concludes the Schmort Night. <laughs> Cheap carpet. Bad smelling cheap carpet. Bad tasting cheap carpet. A motel. Barrow Springs. Mm -hmm. Miss Barrow Springs. Another great day to be me. You were going to tell me about this one. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't even think about it. You didn't come here for the fish-off. You came to hunt the Beast of Barrow Spring. Never heard of it. Uh-huh. Is all this stuff legal? Sure. In Somalia. Right, and that was the show. That was the show. Uh, I mean, there's not much we can talk about. Things have have stagnated somewhat. No, um, we had we uh, had a moment in B and M today, Adam, didn't we? We did. Um, we saw the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, no, that's by the by. It's just cabin fever. Pointy brunette. <laughs> what we did see, and we we were walking past the jars. Our favourite section of B and M is the jar section, where they have all the disgusting preserved things, and. We looked at some pickled eggs, and I said, I've never had a pickled egg before, and you said, me neither. Yeah, and it, it strikes me that the quarantine, the lockdown, because obviously there was a lot of food 
lots of the basic foods were disappearing very quickly. I found, and I know a lot of other people found, starting to experiment a little bit. Yeah. Because, oh, there's no pasta on the shelves. Uh, okay, I'll have couscous. Oh, I really like couscous. Or, uh, more commonly, eating different types of bread. Or, I've got some weird Indian dessert in the fridge that I'm going to try at some point. Because it was cheap, and why not? It might expand a lot of our, our taste buds. So we've gone for probably the lamest expansion on our tastes. <laughs> because I have a feeling we're going to eat our hard-boiled and shelled eggs pickled in spicy vinegar and mm. go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but in, in lieu of our uh, Easter egg choice, I mean, this might be a good one. Let's do it. Right. <clears throat> Well, it didn't hiss when we opened it, so that's a good sign. It's a good start. Oh, it smells, though. Well, You've done something fun there. <laughs> right. right. Okay. All right. Our first ever pickled egg in our entire lives. On air. Yeah. Right, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's for a spicy vinegar. Hmm. That's really good. Mm, it tastes like an egg, doesn't it? I like the vinegar on the egg. Yeah, that is quite nice. Mm. Mm. I can see... Oh, no! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! That's him. That was Rob dropping the egg all over my floor. Oh, right, right. Alright. That's what I'm a bit annoyed about, that. Alright. The floor's mostly clean. You can still eat it. I know, but it's... <laughs> hmm. Lots of bits of yolk all over my carpet now, I can see as well. So I'm getting, so I'm getting the kitchen roll. He's getting some kitchen roll. Always oh, a bit of a afterburny, hmm, indigestion y heartburn thing going on in me. I was about to say, I was about to say, I could see, I can see why they sell them in chippies. That go really well with some fish and chips. Yeah. Well. That's an explosive end to... Uh... <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so, we approve of pickled eggs. So much so, you can throw it on the floor. <sighs> well. Pickled eggs are a win. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, that just leaves us to say thank you for listening. Um, do stay safe out there. More people outside, I can see. Um, if you do go for a walk, do respect other people's avoid them and although i've got to say smile be do be friendly i've noticed that unless um, you're in a queue unless, unless you're in a queue i've noticed that walking around people have started looking at me in the same way they looked at me when i was a spotty sweary teenager people are now looking at other people in such disgust as if they're about to do something when they're just walking there's a lot of, I've seen this a lot, where there'll be, there's something to me the other day, there was an elderly couple, they're walking towards me, I went to move out of their way, they moved the same way to walk out of my way, and it got very awkward, and the guy looked like he was about to stab me. That's not a good place to be. No. I understand why people might be worried, but to be paranoid that you think that everyone around you is about to kill you, yeah. that's probably not a good way don't of Don't be passive-aggressive rude about it as well, you know what I mean? Like, the same, so a woman really obviously sidestepped away from me when I was already about 10 feet away from her. Yeah. Just things like that. Just don't be a dick. That's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's Everyone else is out there doing in the same situation you are. Just kind of... Let's be in it together. 
Yeah. Although not actually be in it together because that's bad. Yeah, social distance, but yeah. Stay safe, but still you can smile, still you can acknowledge other people without stepping away, glaring and wanting to kill each other. So yes, bear that in mind. Um, other than that, you can follow us at screen underscore bucket on Twitter. You can follow Hollowdale Media at Hollowdale Media on Twitter and Instagram. And definitely do, because we're going to be showing off the links for our uh, live premiere. Yes, this is now more than ever. Follow us, follow us, follow us. Um, this goes out on the Monday. We'll be announcing it this evening. Hmm. So if you, ha- if you listen to the show, if you listen to it after Monday, it'll already be there. So go find it. And do keep in touch as well. You can also get us on Patreon. If you do like what we do, consider throwing us a couple quid to be really helpful um, and keep us going during this very questionable and confusing time. Yes, and as always, it always will go back into our projects. Yes, indeed. 100% into our projects. Um, you can find that at www.patreon.com slash Media. All that's left is for you to have a wonderful Quaggers premiere and a wonderful, happy, happy Easter weekend. Yes, indeed. Enjoy and do look at... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and enjoy not being on Lent anymore. Woohoo! Yeah. 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 Bye.